Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Into the Fire. I'm on again with Bill. Hello. And um, we're going to be going over the first point of view chapter for Daenerys Targaryen. Um, so, yeah, this is House Targaryen with, with the dragons and um, the blonde hair and the purple eyes. Yeah. And uh, it starts with... Um, Daenerys and her brother Viserys Targaryen and they are um they're exiled from the the previous royalty they're they're on the run after the Targaryens were um overthrown by Robert Baratheon and um so they're in a, a foreign country Pentos across the narrow sea um, Viserys ran when he was just a little kid and Daenerys was born on Dragonstone and hadn't and was basically taken out of Westeros when she was a baby she may as well have never been there and that's a plot point they've been um li- they've been living on the street um they had to sell their crown for food. Um, they've stayed with various people who were Targaryen supporters and you know had a reason to hide the the heirs of House Targaryen, and that's going to be a plot point too. So this it starts off with they're in the the manse of. Magister Illyrio of Pentos, and he's a wealthy merchant. Um, he's known as a cheesemonger, but he's dealing in a lot of things besides cheese, much more expensive than cheese, spices, jewels. Keep in mind, cheese is probably very expensive, though, and if he has a variety of cheese, he's probably considered wealthy just by that alone. So, he's, of course, he's going to have a whole bunch of other stuff. Dragon bone, quote unquote, less savory things, and I have a feeling what some of them might be. Um, and so they're at that point living in his mansion. On you know they have some borrowed you know finery, but it, it's only because Illyrio sees them as a useful political investment. Yeah, he sees them basically as. Potential hostages. Oh. Like he's like, he, he he could just be like, I'm gonna trade you these Targaryen kids. They're the most valuable thing I have. At this point, I think that uh, Illyrio, and we'll go into this in the chapter, um, has an interest in retaking Westeros with Targaryen power, and is going to you know use these teenage kids to get it. And yeah, you make lovely figureheads. Daenerys is trying on a a purple gown which um, matches the purple in her eyes. Uh, Purple eyes is... uh, I'm not sure true purple exists with real people in real life, but... Oh, you mean with humans? No, it doesn't exist in humans in nature. So that's one of the... I thought you... When you asked me that earlier, I thought you meant does it exist in nature at all? And the answer is yes, but no, not in humans. 
So that's that's one of the purely fantasy things in this uh, series. Almost every Targaryen has some shade of purple in their eyes. There's a few exceptions, but mostly they've got purple. And... Well... Viserys, he's 15, and he's... There's nothing likable about him. He's basically a partially insane, abusive jerk. And... And he's he's getting Daenerys, you know, try on this dress and have it show off her figure and um yeah he he's is gross. he's it's gross, he is abusive gross. to his sister and it's and, and it there's on, hints uh, that it, it gets into a sexual dimension well, uh he he well they talk about awakening the dragon, that pretty makes it clear that he basically probably just pummels her or something like that. And it later gets clear in the book that that's pretty much what happens. And in this, like, yeah, he's, like, basically molesting her. Uh, and... There's no two ways about it. So, yeah. Not likable. Not likable. And, um... And it, it moves on to uh, discussing the the city of Pentos and um Cal Drogo's manst. Uh, the Cal Drogo is a Dothraki. They are nomadic uh, horse-based culture. They're supposed to be a conglomeration of various yeah, real-life nomadic horse-based Yeah, they're like Mongol Huns slash you know Sarmatians slash Comanche slash yeah, they're they're stereotypical horse-based civilization. But also, Nomadic this uh, civilization. This Cal Drogo is also rich and ha- owns a manse in Pentos for some well, reason. Well, all of those cultures tended to be. A lot of people are like, "Oh, they're just poor." It's like, no, oh, they, not- re- they made their living ransacking shit. So yeah, they're going. They're going to actually. You're, the whoever's at, at the head of whatever local, and usually it would be a local thing. And it does hint, I believe, that there are other cows, I think. Oh, there's a lot of other cows. There's a lot of cows, so there you go. It's not the the surprising part isn't the rich part, it's that he has a permanent mansion. The Dothraki are pretty much treated like they shun the trappings of non-Dothraki society. He's doing the newer thing, I guess. He has a mansion, or maybe he just has that mansion and he never really is there, which that's what I would just probably goes there to meet with people. And, um, at this point, uh, more about the, um, the House Targaryen. They were the royal house of Westeros for hundreds of years, um, after the first Targaryens to land there. Um, Aegon the Conqueror and his two sisters who he was married to. Yep. So he was both a polygamist and married to his sisters, which is uh, kind of uncomfortable. But um, they had that tradition in um, the land of Valyria where they um, the dragon riders came from and when it was destroyed, House Targaryen 
survived and they actually weren't that big a deal in Valyria, but if they're the surviving ones and they have dragons, um, they suddenly have a whole lot more power and um, they conquered Westeros on their dragons and uh, set themselves up as uh, the king and queens and they kept the incest tradition with few exceptions and they to keep the power of being able to ride dragons and um, be accepted by dragons um, that's strongly implied to be genetic and they wanted to keep that in the family but that had predictable consequences mainly insanity yeah. I mean George didn't really go so much for the um, physical issues side of inbreeding he went for insanity as the uh, he does that of course with uh, as we see Joffrey later on that's and that's sort of the point is Sarah said it's not they they don't try to emphasize the uh the physical but I, honestly that would be I mean I guess he figured that would be a little too on the nose which I can understand it makes for maybe yes most of the Targaryens were um very beautiful also but... Targaryens have weird uh they have a weird biological issue that we later get into and also at this point they no longer have dragons um they lost a lot of dragons in civil war and also later when um the the dragon pit where the dragons were housed was stormed by a mob and the dragons killed a lot of the mob but um ultimately the dragons were overwhelmed by numbers yeah. and, and the were... collapsing roof yeah and the few dragon so, sorry no, I don't know what other dragons there were. The few dragons they had left um, declined and became smaller, and um, at this point in the story, the dragons were long extinct as far as anybody knew. The skulls were kept in the throne room until um, Robert Baratheon took over and moved them to the dungeons. And the last skulls were from, like, dog-sized skulls. They weren't... Yeah. So again, and oh yeah, I didn't mention that when Daenerys was born, basically right at the point when um, the surviving Targaryens had to um, go on the run, there was a severe storm going on. So she's. Daenerys Stormborn. Yep. Um, and um, Daenerys reminisces a bit about her past while she's on uh, on the run, moving from place to place. And um, part of this was a house in Bravos with a red door, and. Um, with a man named Sir Willem, and he, he was sick and dying for some reason that I assume was old age-related illness, and, um, after he had died, um, the servants had taken, um, 
what little the money there was, and um, Daenerys and Viserys had had to move on. And this will be a recurring theme that when Daenerys is feeling homesick and overwhelmed, um, she is going to want the house with the red door and to her home looks like this house with the red door. And there is a fan theory about this house that um, they say it is in Bravos, but the fan theory is that Daenerys' memory is faulty because of how young she was and that it was actually in Dorne. And the reason for this is there's a lemon tree outside, and lemon trees are very prevalent in Dorne, but not Bravos. Yeah. And um, there is some Targaryen political interest in Dorne. Um, the counter to this theory is that um, some of the richer people of Bravos do have um, some nice gardens that include lemon trees, even if the city in general is not really a place for lemons to grow. I don't think the climate is the best for them. And so that's a thing. And at this point, um, there's some talk about um, Magister Illyrio his servants and guards are really slaves. Slavery is illegal in the city of Pentos, but he but still he has, has them. them. And his guards are the um, eunuch soldiers, the unsullied, and... Um, they really, really good. Too. They're very elite soldiers. That's why nobody messes with them and tells them you can't do something. Well... They're also going to be very important to the plot of this books later on, so this is the first time you see them. And at this point, um, Daenerys is being bathed to meet Cal Drogo by um, one of Valerio's servants, who is probably also a slave. And um, she she's going on about how rich the Cal is and um, how fancy his um, palace in Vastothrak is. Actually, that well, you'll see Vastothrak later in the series, but this woman is not quite correct about it. Yeah. And um. Daenerys' body is being a bit over-described during this bath, which, um, given oh. how young she is, I think George R. R. Martin could, uh... Oh, well, that's one of those things where, you know, that he's sort of probably trying to make that the point, and also, you know, while this is happening, Viserys is abusing her, uh, not only physically, but mentally as well. Like, he's uh, saying things, and... He's basically insulting her and stuff like that, and he's he's implying that. Meanwhile, everyone's like, "Oh, you're so beautiful, Daenerys," and I'm sure that that's uh, messing. That would mess with anybody's head. So, 
and so there there she is all you know bait and fancied up and um this is the point where magister illyrio is introduced and he's um a very large man and um I'm gonna say Oh he is implied to be like very fat and the way he's described kind of goes into the um grotesque trope which um I can't say I'm it's not a great thing in fiction but it's a lot of authors do it. Um, also, George R. R. Martin uses physical hyperbole all the time. That's something that he does. And that's what a lot of... It's sort of a writing style. He's not... Later on in the series, um, George R. R. uses more more nuance. Like, not not every larger person is described in this way. Yeah. Um, well, he's just trying to make... Yeah, he's just trying to make... Uh, Hilario, like, be like the most supposed to be the most hideous thing that you can imagine in theory. Um, he, he was clearly also probably modeled after Jabba the Hutt. That's probably like, I mean, I don't know. In this, this was, case, I think there may be more than one character. This was written that, in what eighty? Um, nineteen ninety-six. Okay, well, they, that's when Game of Thrones was written. Okay, um, yeah. So, well, after and Jedi, so. He's described as, like, physically grotesque and grotesquely rich, and, uh, so that's, that's that, and, um, Viserys is there still making, uh, bad comments about Daenerys, saying, uh, she's too skinny, and, um, are they sure that Cal Drogo likes his woman this young? Like, yeah, she's 13 and Drogo is, like, 30. And, well, it sounds like she's very young to be married, even in this fantasy <clears throat> culture where women are married in their teens. But that's, again, that's clearly meant to sort of add to the hyperbole, the fact that Drogo is going to be this monster to, of course, just take a child bride, because, you know, it's like, oh, as soon as they're uh, even remotely close to puberty, that's that's when they take them, which is one of those, again, supposed to be unfortunate realisms. Uh, again, you know, take that as you will. And like, just because it, like that. it's... You know this way in this fantasy culture, or even if in any real life this happens, that doesn't make it okay. But yeah, um, it's how it how it's written here, and um, you know they're they're waiting for Drogo, and um, he shows up, and. He's described as um, having copper skin, the dark almond eyes of the Dothraki. Um, oh wait, no, I messed up. This was 
this was one of the Unsullied that's being described. I was like, hang on. Um, no, the way they can describe Drogo is a lot funnier. Well, I think so, which we'll get to eventually. Okay, yeah, I, I skipped some stuff. Um, here's some... Yeah, more stuff about the Unsullied. Um, and... Um, they mentioned the Red Priests and their Lord of Light. That's going to be another important thing later on. And... How they say the Lord of Light will hold their city walls against a million Dothraki. Uh, I don't know about that. They are later revealed to the priests and priestesses do have some kind of magic. Is that going to be enough to hold back military might? Probably not. Um, Alright, now we... Now we get to the Dothraki, and so he's, Chal Drogo is very tall, his skin is the color of copper, and his mustaches have golden, his mustachios have golden bronze rings in them. And they're applied to be, like, thick, so imagine, unlike the show, imagine, like, a handlebar mustache. Now, when I read this, I misread, before, here's a funny story, when I misread this, I actually misread uh, his uh, mustache and hair being basically his goal. I misread that. And I immediately thought, based on that description, basically it was something more akin to Hulk Hogan than anybody that... Uh, and I feel like that's sort of... Not what he was going for, but I feel like he was trying to go for like a more stereotypical, like, you know, like hairy barbarian lord but also with like bejeweled hair and you know stuff like that so I don't know I don't know I mean I think I think that uh, Jason Momoa definitely nailed him overall but they, they described somebody who's like hairier and I guess that's sort of uh given what happens with the uh, hair and Dothraki culture I assume that would make sense that he would yes be but even hairier than uh any sort of you know movie depiction or show depiction the Dothraki cut their hair if they lose a fight, and Cal Drogo has never cut his hair. So, he's a, a champion warrior, and his hair is is long, and he, he takes care of it and oils it. And... Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a very... It's a major feature of his body, and they do come back to it. And of course, Daenerys sees him, and she's well, she's she, afraid of him. She's afraid of him, but she's also it's implied that she's sort of attracted, and but in a sort of a, you know, like a you know a very nervous but also scared way. I mean, you know, he sees she sees uh, him is really really handsome and really powerful, and she's going on of course in her head about like how he's, you know, how. He's, you know, such a great archer and such a great fighter and such a great, you know, rider. Like uh, this stuff, uh, this stuff comes later. And at this point, she is. She says she doesn't. She doesn't want to be his queen. And. Viserys, I don't want to. I want to go home. And 
Viserys is like is, they took our home from us this is how are we to go home this is what and he's taking his fingers into his her arm during this because he's Viserys and they need the army to go home and they're going to get this from her wedding Drogo and this is she he says that um to get this he would be willing to have his entire army and the horses all take her um and oh this is what Daenerys is dealing with. This is the kind of pressure she's up against. Yeah. And there there she is, you know, just trying to stand up straight and uh, look good for Drogo because she has to. Yeah. Do you have any more uh, more to say about this chapter? Well, basically, uh, like I said, um, the series is already sort of uh, shown as uh, he's shown not only as you know a bully and a monster, but he's shown as weak, and it's shown that you immediately show uh, Cal Drogo as this counter. Not that, of course, that he's not a monster either, but he's like a real monster. He's not like a fifteen-year-old brat who would you know beat his servants or beat uh his sister he's basically like he could actually like lead an army into battle and do some serious damage right off the bat and he's meant to be like you know he could probably kill a few people with his bare hands at the same time uh as you know and generally shown not to be impotent so you get these two clashing views and i feel like that sort of uh sets up for what Happens. Of course, you might not necessarily recognize that, but it definitely sets it up for what happens later. So, and um, and yeah, this is the beginning of Daenerys's story, and um, uh, this chapter's over, and um, next time we get into a Game of Thrones, it's going to be the first um, Eddard Stark chapter. And so uh, we're going to be doing that. And thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire.